Hello and welcome to episode 391 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Nathan Fox. With me is Ben Olson. We are the co-founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. You can be LSAT famous, uh, share news and ask questions on our website, thinkinglsat.com. This show is going to air on Monday, February 27th, which means uh, you've still got about a week to register for our proctored practice test coming up on Saturday, March 4th. Uh, that's 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. If you'd like to take a full practice test and then talk to a demon tutor about it all totally for free. So hope to see you guys there. Um, two uh, upcoming dates that might interest you on March 1st, the February 2023 scores are coming out. That's this Wednesday. And then a day after that is your registration deadline for the April LSAT. So you've got uh, until Thursday, March 3rd, no, Thursday, March 2nd, to register for the April 2023 LSAT. Basically, the decision there is simple. Are you happy with your practice tests? If you're happy with your practice tests, go ahead and register for that upcoming test. Uh, if you're not happy with your practice tests, then you know how close are you? Because if you're 10 points away, don't don't sign up for the test. That's silly. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, wait until you're within striking distance as documented by your practice tests until you sign up for an official exam. Go to lsat.link slash dates if you want to see all those uh, score dates, score release dates, registration deadlines. Go to lsatdemon.com forward slash classes if you want to uh, see all of our free content that you are eligible to attend. Hope to see you guys there. Yeah, I was laughing a little bit because I'm glad they're giving out the scores before the April registration deadline. But one day before just strikes me as, I don't know, it's an easy decision. You don't like your score, so then you sign up for the next test. But, you know, people's lives are busy. <laughs> Give them a couple days so that they can get their score and then register. I don't know. It just I'm just happy that the scores are coming out before the registration deadline. I mean, it, it just really sucks when the scores don't come out before the registration deadline. It's like you're... It feels like there's this unnecessary soaking of $210 out of people sometimes when they, you know, they don't know their LSAT's still up in the air. They they're so well intentioned. And then now they like it's like they're getting punished that they have to sign up for this future test, even though they might not want to take it. Um, so anyway, I'm going to give them credit for getting this one out uh, before the registration deadline for the next one. We're going to start today with a pearls versus turds. This is the segment of the show where we take a bit of uh, received wisdom from the Internet and we tell you whether we think it's an actual pearl of wisdom or whether it's a, a yet another turd. Why don't you read it, Ben? This is uh, from Owen. Yeah, it says, Dear Ben and Nathan, turd detectors. Okay, that's a new title. I recently came across a link from my school's government and law newsletter titled LSAT Tips from Experts. I know for certain that you will not be fond of number seven, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on this list and the countless others like it that are advertised to pre-law students by undergrad institutions across the country. Oh, Thanks, boy. Owen. Okay. We've seen this before. Oh, Jesus. This is coming from the LSAT Center. Yeah. I mean, this must be official. Yeah. Right. LSAT tips from experts. LSAT tips on how to study, how to study and test day. <laughs> That's funny. 
It's not parallel there, but anyways. I mean, this whole thing is okay. Number one, your college background can help. Yep. Best suggestion if you if you still have time, taking one or more classes in formal logic. Bullshit. The classes in formal logic are totally unnecessary. I never took one formal logic class and I was naturally totally fine with all of the formal. I mean, listen, the formal logic that you actually need on the LSAT is pretty simple. Can you tell the difference between these two statements? If you're in New York City, you have to be in the United States versus if you're in the United States, you have to be in New York City. One of those is true and one of those is false. Can you tell the difference between those two statements? If you can, then you know all the formal logic that is ever going to be helpful on this test. Yeah. Ben speechless. <laughs> they need to be focusing on their grades, not these random formal logic classes. <sighs> this next one, don't expect to get everything right. I mean, there is a, you know, it, it is it is telling you Usefully, it's telling you that you can get a couple wrong to score a 180. Mm -hmm. No, that's not true on every test, but normally, I mean, that is true that you actually don't have to get every single one right. I just fear that people are going to take that as like for the exact wrong lesson, which is, oh, OK, so I can just like hurry through it and make sure I answer everything. And then, you know, this like there's a sub bullet point here. If you get 75 percent of the questions correct, you'll score higher than 90 percent of all test takers. Well, yeah, but. It's hard to do all the questions at 75% accuracy. Mm -hmm. And what's more likely is you're going to do this next thing, which is if you get 50% of the questions correct, you will score higher than 40% of all test takers. Well, yeah, okay, but <laughs> doing all the questions and getting half of them right in order to beat 40% of the field, that's a lot of smoke and not very much fire. You know, there's a, there's a way that you could get there so much easier, which is like, do 50% of the questions with 100% accuracy. If you did that, you're going to score higher than like 60% of all the people who take the test because you're going to get a bunch of free points from your guesses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's not a useful. So far, I'm seeing nothing but turds. What do you think? I guess I don't hate this second one. I, literally, what's on the page here is true for people starting out right don't even try to get everything right just try to do well on the ones you do but there is no mention of that so it's not really helpful but literally what's said on the page yeah i mean fine it's not horrible but i wouldn't say it's helpful either the third item is in all um it's in title ca uh, title case with yeah, none of the other odd. items on this list are in title case you can tell oh, this by must the typos. be important yeah <laughs> You can tell by the typos that this is just kind of horseshit. Never leave bubbles empty. Yeah, okay, right. Make sure that you fill in all the bubbles. If you have 10 empty bubbles, that's basically two points if you bubble in a bubble. So make sure that you click an answer for all of the questions. That's that's a good tip, but kind of no shit. Hey, don't try number four, don't try to solve all the questions. There we go. Like now okay. we're talking. Yeah. Problem is, they say, you know, we explain specific timing and skipping strategies in our free <laughs> LSAT prep course, which is like whatever this bullshit is. Uh, yeah. I mean, I can tell you the harder questions are at the end of the section. So just do the questions from the beginning of the section. Yeah. And you're not going to be wasting any time on timing strategies and skipping strategies. Just 
do as many as you can do until the time is running out and then click just guess on all the rest of them. It's a, such a simple strategy, but you can't make a lengthy bullet pointed list out or, you know, a numbered list out of all that out of such a simple tip. Yeah. Practice okay. under similar conditions is number five. How does Tiger Woods prepare for the high stakes slash high nerves game of golf? He always tries to practice exactly as if it were a real tournament. <laughs> no, <Does> he? <laughs> he doesn't. No, he does not. <laughs> Tiger Woods goes to the driving range. Tiger yeah. Woods goes to the chipping green and the putting green. <laughs> and in the lab on the fucking launch monitors and shit. What? Yeah. What are you talking? I mean. Ugh. Ooh, look at this. Under this bullet point, they have tried taking the entire test just as you would on test day, not just one section at a time. Which we know from experience is actually a bad tip because then people it's like such a slog to get through an entire test and then they don't review. I mean, yeah. we are offering, by the way, a free practice test. We said this uh, at the top of the show, but we're offering a free practice test again. That's on uh, Saturday, March 4, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. But we recommend you do that like once a month, maybe. And this tip seems like it's going to be oriented toward getting people to do, you know, well, hey, if you're practicing, you have to do a full test. Otherwise, you're not Tiger Woods. Yeah. And people do that, right? On the last uh, show, we were reading right. an email from someone who <laughs> was taking two or three but. tests a, a week. Yeah. No more. Yeah. He was doing like five tests a week. It's like, what? OK, that's cra I mean, so that would be like Tiger only ever playing tournament like he would just go he would just go park himself at augusta national and just do nothing but play the golf course at augusta getting yeah. ready for the masters <laughs> no a tiger's gonna or be, he might even just go take real tournaments right he'd be like okay where, where's the tournament let's just go do there. nothing but play real tournament yeah no <laughs> yeah. there's <laughs> there are ways that you can practice including so importantly which they haven't mentioned yet at all review your damn mistakes right i mean if mm -hmm. i had to give you one tip it would be review your damn mistakes. Well, it might be slow down and then it might be review your damn mistakes. Yeah. But they're just like, well, rush through all the questions and then guess on the ones you don't have time. You know, the, well, the hard ones that we told yeah. you which ones were hard and you skipped those ones and then you randomly guess on those ones. But <laughs> I don't know. How about the next bullet? That's bad. Practice at a desk, preferably in the morning in a crowded room, just like test day. Well, it's a little outdated. Yeah, uh, you, that's... You're no longer in a crowded room. <laughs> and a crowded room, even for the past tests, weren't loud. Everyone was quietly taking their tests, feverishly taking their tests, uh, in a crowded room that almost sounds like at a Starbucks or something. Which n nowadays, yeah, you're taking it at home. You can control your own environment. Um, yeah. And if you don't have an environment at home that you can control, you can actually get LSAC to pay for a hotel room for you so that you can have a private room to take your test in. I mean, there's no reason to that's yeah, that's just outdated. OK, that's fine. This next one says P.O.E. The key strategy to answering questions is P.O.E. Process of elimination. That's the key strategy. Okay. That's the key strategy, <laughs> which it's not, <laughs> not at all. I mean, predicting the answers is actually the key strategy, but yeah. Okay. Um, in reading comp and logical reasoning, many of the answer choices can be justified with some creativity. Focus on why answers are wrong rather than why they are right. Okay. Now that's a good tip. You should be reading the answer choices, expecting them to be wrong. That is true. But then they say, this is now total bullshit. Skim through your choices and eliminate answers that are clearly incorrect or have flaws, which 
not if it's a matching flaw question. <laughs> okay. Uh, what do they even mean by that? Have flaws, have flaws in the, like that, that's a, it's like a, it's, they're using it in a different sense than I think even like an argument flaw. Right. Right. Then listen to, well, they're, what they're doing is they're saying the same thing twice. Clearly yeah. incorrect or have flaws. You mean clearly, clearly incorrect. incorrect. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But then the last sentence is now actually harmful. If you can eliminate two of the choices, you can increase your chances of getting the right answer dramatically from 20%, one in five, to 33%, <laughs> one in three. Wow, ben, look at those. <laughs> is that a dramatic improvement? No. I mean, you've eliminated, you've taken the time, by the way, to skim, presumably you've skimmed all five answers and you've eliminated two. And now you have a one in three shot of getting it right. Well, but you already had a one in five shot of getting it right. That's not a dramatic improvement. No. Well, and worse, you still have a 66% chance of getting it wrong. And if you extend that for all the questions, that's a really shitty score. That's not going to get you anywhere. No. And it's going to, this is going to lead people the completely wrong direction. It's going to make them think that the test is hard, right? If you're, they had just said that you got to focus on why the answers are wrong. And now they're in the next breath, they're giving you permission to go skim through the answers and get rid of two of them that are wrong while leaving three of them that you think might be right. Yeah. If you have three answers left on the page, I mean, at least one of those answers is complete garbage and you should have been able to identify why it's wrong. Yeah. So this is damaging. I mean, if this were baseball, then improving your average from 200 to 333 would be like bitching. Okay. That go, that's from like, you can't play in the major leagues to you're in the hall of fame. If this yeah. is baseball that we're talking about, but in baseball, every time you step to the plate, you're expected to make an out. Yeah. In LSAT, every time you step up to the plate, you're expected to solve that question. You're expected to get it right. Yeah. 20% is bad, but 33% is just as bad on the law yeah. school admission test. Yeah. And they're not different. If you, if you tell me that you've eliminated two answers, I'm like, okay, well, so when are you going to start doing the question? Yeah. You're just not doing it. You're not, that, that's not, okay. That's a really bad tip. Number seven, learn the little tricks and techniques. The test creators have come up with hundreds of tricks they can use to lead test takers to select the wrong answer. The more of these tricks that you become familiar with, the higher your score will become. These tricks are not all dependent on the question type. For example, one trick is to put a baited wrong answer above the right answer, which leads many test takers to choose the trap choice and never even read the correct choice. But wow. Ben, that's just <laughs> one of hundreds of tricks that these people think the test makers are trying to foist upon their students or their candidates. This is so distracting. This is going to be People are like, okay, yeah, B sounds pretty good, but maybe that means actually C is the answer because the answer I think sounds right is probably the baited wrong answer right above the right one. I mean, stop. Just stop. This is crap. Um, by the way, who is this coming from? I'll give you one guess. LSAT Center? I don't, yeah, what, what do you mean? Well, if we scroll all the way down to the very, very bottom of the page. Oh, Hmm. Kaplan is an affiliate yeah. of LSAT Center. Yeah, they're trying to sell you their shitty local LSAT classes and their their shitty online products. I mean, we we haven't been shy about telling you that Kaplan is pretty much the worst for teaching LSAT. 
And that's so no, no surprise. Like they try to make it seem hard to you. Mm-hmm. And that's what that tip number seven, which our correspondent, who was this again? Owen. Yeah. Yep. Thanks, Owen. You're right. Number seven is the worst one. And see, this is that form of LSAT teaching where it's like, I'm going to tell you how impossible this test is so that you will pay me money so that I can then tell you hundreds of little tricks. Yeah, it's it's that. Oh, it's a hook, right? Like, oh, geez. Well, they gave me one. What are the other ninety nine? <laughs> Or two hundred and nine hundred and ninety nine. Yeah. <laughs> what are what are those other ones? I want to go to class and learn them, and they're actually going to mess you up. They're going to bog you down with stupid ideas, even yeah. if they're not counterproductive. They're yeah. counterproductive in the mere fact that you have them in your head. If you want no bullshit LSAT prep, give us a shot at LSAT Demon. If you come to our classes, you're going to hear us tell you that the LSAT is actually easy. I mean, I'm never going to stop saying the question actually makes perfect sense on the page. All you have to do is take a bit more time with it and really read every word carefully and and really think about what do they mean? Okay, can I connect their statements together? Mm -hmm. And if it's logical reasoning, you need to be telling them why the argument is bullshit and trying to predict an answer. Mm -hmm. This is the exact opposite of that. This is it's answer choice driven. You know, it's like, well, just don't fall into the tricks and traps. Watch out for trap answers. And it's like the next thing you get, you know, you've got a student going, well, this is the one that I want to pick, but that's probably a trap. So I'll pick the next one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like it's just they're making the test harder for you instead of teaching you how you can actually understand the test. It's that's and going back to the gimmick above, like, don't try to solve all the questions because, well, there's harder ones. And we're going to you we're going to tell you how to skip those and manage your time on the other ones. And it's just it's a shame. It's unfortunate. Yeah. How about a scoreboard update? Where does that put us? Twenty five pearls, 71 turds and 26 ties. Lesson there, obviously, is be careful uh, what kind of advice you're looking for on the Internet. Obviously, that applies not to just LSAT, but to pretty much everything. My free class, LSAT gimmicks that are holding you back. I just did that last Thursday as you listen to this. It's available on the LSAT Demon YouTube channel. You can go to lsat.link forward slash Nathan for my free classes. The next one is March 9th at 7 p.m. Eastern. That one's going to be parents night. Ben's going to be there for that one as well. If you want us to talk to your parents about how to properly prepare for the law school admission test, we would love to see them there. And if your folks can't make it, it's still going to be valuable just for you. Yeah. And look, I I just can't say this enough. We are telling you and your parents how to go to law school for free. It's not. Yeah. This is not a tagline to pull you in and then say, ha ha ha. Only 5% of people go to law school for free, but I'm glad you came along for the ride. No, this is for how you can go to law school for free. If that does not interest your parents, I honestly don't know what what would. Yeah, and there are also times where people who believe all of our advice, who crushed the LSAT, end up paying something for law school, but they've done it in, from a position of having full ride offers that they can then turn down. Right. So it's a deliberate decision. Yeah. Yes. 
Last week on LSAT Demon Daily, we had um, a couple special guest episodes. If you haven't caught those already, we have two just amazing interviews. Eric interviewed Sara Kamuni, who is now uh, a 3L at Harvard Law. She still tutors for us sometimes. Mm-hmm. She's a 3L at Harvard who made a decision to pay a little bit of money because it was actual Harvard. Yep. And uh, Matt. Dumont interviewed Jenny Martinez, who is a 2L at Berkeley, who paid money to go to Berkeley. But, you know, she 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 did what we said. She improved her LSAT by 20 points or whatever. She had full full ride offers in hand or she had fantastic offers in hand. And she ended up getting into Berkeley, which was like a dream school for her. And she decided to pay money to go to Berkeley. But we really do want your parents to know that paying for law school is an option. And you you should only choose to pay if you know what you're getting. Yep. And uh, if you're talking about a law school that's ranked uh, 30th in the country, I don't think you know what you're getting. And and you you could be there's just too many people who are going there for free. That's what we want to try to pull the veil back on so that everybody can see what what this game actually looks like. All right, enough of that. You want to read this one from uh, Anonymous? Subject yeah. is picking a good value law school in a not so great location. Okay. Hello, thank you for all of your advice over the past year and love the show. I tried to find out if you had previously answered this, but I could not find anything. Perhaps my research has failed me. My question is regarding whether it is wrong to accept a very generous scholarship from a school in a location that is not ideal. For reference, I have been admitted to the University of Iowa with a full tuition plus stipend <laughs> offer. Sorry for laughing, but Iowa never comes up except for when we see it on the scholarship estimator. Right? Yeah. Iowa on the scholarship estimator is like, yep, you could probably get a full ride to this school. Yeah. And it's not a surprise because nobody wants to go to Iowa. I'm yeah. sorry, Iowegians, but like nobody wants to purposely go to Iowa and so this is a very interesting question where it's like, hey, this this guy, whoever this is, guy, yep. gal, other, whatever, this person followed our advice, used the scholarship estimator, probably. That's lsatdemon.com yep. forward slash scholarships, by the way. Applied to Iowa. <laughs> Saw that Iowa would probably offer a full ride. Applied to Iowa. Iowa, not only did they show up with a full tuition scholarship offer, but they also said, we will literally pay you money to come to our school. Yeah. Okay, Um, you want to continue? Sure. The school seems great. Okay. And I would love to attend, but I worry about the transferability of the degree post-grad. My dream has always been to practice in a bigger city, in particular D.C. I am from the Midwest, so I would love the change of scenery. I have offers from other schools, UNC with $20,000 per year and GW with $75,000 per year. That sounds pretty... What? No, that's something's wrong there. If, if you're getting 75 a year at GW, that's a full ride to GW. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a typo of some sort. Okay. But I cannot stomach graduating from an ele- a less elite school in D.C. with $150,000 plus in debt. Uh, are there routes available for graduates of more regional schools to make it into competitive markets like D.C.? Thanks yes. for your advice. Yes, there is. Um, I'm immediately thinking of Rachel Gezersay's book, the, what is that called again? The law career playbook or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Check out that book as far as like how to build your own network. 
You should read that book anyway. I mean, I don't care whether you go to GW or Iowa. If you don't work on building your network, you're not going to leverage your GW location anyway. You're just going to be um, an unnoticed fish in a different pond. I, I, I would say go to Iowa, go for free, get the money, and then start building out your network. Go, to, go do uh, jobs in cities that you want to practice in over your summers. I don't see any problem with that. Iowa and GW are very closely ranked to one another. Iowa is, you know, it is a regional school with pretensions or it's on the borderline of being like an actual national law school, I think. Yeah. Uh, You're right that GW is the, you know, it's the second best law school in D.C. by a wide margin. Yeah. Iowa is the best law school in Iowa and the best law school for how many miles? I don't know how far it is to get to, you know, Chicago or Wash U or something like that. It's probably going to be not too far away from Iowa. Uh, If you go to Iowa and you do well there, you absolutely can find work for yourself in D.C. I would ask Iowa to connect you to alums who have gone on a career path that you want. And that advice goes to literally everybody. Yeah. And crush it. Good, get good grades. Those are going to be your tickets to opportunities wherever you want to practice. Yeah, That's you're how you have get to in get, the door. Yeah. And I wouldn't like, you know, you're from the Midwest. That means you're probably going to be pretty comfortable in Iowa. You're only going to be, if you're doing it right, you're only going to be in the law library anyway. I mean, just you're, you're going to be very serious while you're in law school. This is not the time to go have an experience in D.C., Right. Mm -hmm. Law Mm -hmm. school is not the time to go check out D.C. The time to go check out D.C. is kick ass in Iowa and then go get a job in D.C. Yeah. And I don't think that Anonymous here does want to, you know, explore D.C. while in law school. Just this person just says, my dream has always been to practice in a bigger city, in particular D.C. So I, I think this person has what it takes to buckle down and focus in school they're just worried that being away from DC will limit their options for getting jobs once they're done, right? But seems like no. you followed our advice so far. You know, you you did great on the LSAT, presumably. You applied broadly. It sounds like you got great offers. Now you're yeah. weighing those offers against one another. But I mean, like, I'm going to assume that GW is giving half scholarship, maybe. Yeah, like 25. That was the. I think the 70. 5k per year. I think that was meant to be 75 total or something. 25 per year, maybe 75 total. Yeah. What's GW's price? Like 65 or something? Uh, yeah, I have it up right here on their 509, um, (laughs) (laughs) 67,380. So that's not a, no, I mean, 75 a year would be full tuition plus stipend. So it's not that. So it's probably a half scholarship. Uh, and no, I mean, it's going to be wildly better for you to go to Iowa and have them actually pay you. You That'll mean you don't have to work. You don't have to fret about money. You can focus totally on your studies, kick ass. There might be a transfer possibility if you really do kick ass at Iowa while you're there. Um, we don't normally. But even you know, then, right, are you going to get a scholarship where you transfer to? I, I don't know. I would just commit to Iowa and focus 100 yeah. percent on your GPA. That's your ticket. 
There were two incoming transfers, by the way. This is all on the 509 information. This is yeah. <laughs> most of what we say on this show is just like looking at publicly available data. So go to lsatdemon.com forward slash scholarships and start clicking on the little PDF logo to look at these actual 509 information reports. Because down at the bottom, it's on the fourth page, we see that GW actually has in the last year, they took a couple transfers from Iowa. So yeah. it's like, can you eventually practice in DC? Yeah, you definitely. They, if GW is respecting Iowa, then I'm pretty sure the DC firms are going to be respecting Iowa. Why? Why wouldn't they? Anything more on that? No. Heidi sends an email that says application limits. Hey guys, I feel like you might tear this question apart, but I'm going to ask anyway. Okay, good. For certain life reasons related to my partner and my future, I am looking to go to law school in a certain region. You advise applying broadly. So my question is, should I apply to schools I have no intention of attending to see what offers I may get and then negotiate using any offers that may be better than what I get at schools that I want to attend? Yes, I'll let you for, answer, Ben. Yes, for two reasons. One, for the reason that you mentioned, know your worth that will make you a stronger negotiator. And two, do it because you don't know for sure what your future self will decide. You get a full ride stipend to some school that's close enough to your certain region, like Iowa, I don't know where you are, you may choose that option. Saving $20,000 a year may be enough of a reason to change your current assumptions. Uh, but even if you don't, it doesn't matter. Know your worth. Yeah, not necessarily to negotiate using those offers. Just to see what kinds of offers would be out there if you were willing to be a bit more flexible. We've been doing this for a long time, and I can't tell you how many um, times we have heard students say that their circumstances have changed in the intervening six months, nine months while they wait for applications to happen and offers to come out and to make a decision and then to actually finally matriculate at a school a year later, a lot of life can happen in a year. A lot. A lot. A lot. <laughs> and so I, I know you and your partner are madly in love and are, it's going to never be any different <laughs> than that. <laughs> Except, you know, that's probably not the case in most cases, like relationships don't last forever and shit happens. People get sick. People find different interests. People discover the things that they were interested in. They're no longer interested in geographical shit changes a lot. God, we just went through covid. I mean, the more options you can give yourself, the better. Yeah, and absolutely. so. I wouldn't be applying broadly in order to like fish for scholarship offers necessarily. Instead, I would be applying broadly. Yeah. So that you can know your worth and so that you can genuinely um, consider those offers. Yep. Yeah. Next Good one. Luck, Heidi. Yeah. Want to talk to Jack? Yeah. Jack's subject is yesterday's 177 is today's 169. Question mark. Or are earlier practice tests valid or unrepresentative? Question mark. This is from a Demon Live user. Okay. Hi, Ben and Nathan. Longtime listener, first time caller. I've been studying for the LSAT for four months and recently have been plateauing in the mid 
high 160s, unable to break 170. I've been ramping up my study approaches, focusing on RC specifically. However, my practice tests for the past five tests were as follows. 165, 167, 162, 168, and 169. I loaded up my weekly practice test on LSAT Demon, take it, and feel great. Too great, almost easy. I get the score, it's a 177. But I didn't feel, all caps, like, oh, I'm sorry, it didn't feel like a 177. It felt like I was using the same degree of understanding I've been using in my other practice tests. <laughs> But, but that's not possible because you've been learning along the way. I mean, you're doing your best at every step along the way, but when you do this much prep, you learn. So you're learning. So you broke out on the upside by eight points. That's not surprising. That's just how it works. Like you're, you're going to go up and down. Don't be surprised when the next data point is back in the one sixties, but On average, it looks like you're improving. Yeah, he continues. For reference, I took prep test A, which is from 1996, and I usually go somewhere from around minus four for LR, minus five for reading, minus one for games, but went minus one, minus two, minus zero, respectively, on that test. I did some research and noticed that the recent trend in LSATs towards harder and more verbose logical reasoning, and reading comp sections. Uh, Really? Was it easier to get a 177 in 1996? Mm. Uh, So I have a couple things to say about this. I do think that the logical reasoning and the reading comp on that test is easier than the recent stuff, but the games are harder. On test A specifically. Yeah, so I think what happened here is that Jack is good at games, and so the harder games did not hurt Jack, but the easier logical reasoning and reading comp helped him. But that's also just like part of these tests. They fluctuate in difficulty. Some sections are easier than others and harder than others on different tests. So it's not so much that prep test A is easier. It's just it played to your strengths. That's my guess. And it slightly affected you. There's also variance. So it's hard to know how much of that played to your strengths. But hey, maybe it it helped a little. It's just one data point. I mean... It's a fact that you are learning. It's a fact that the test is basically easy. The test makes perfect sense. They're they're not hiding the ball. If you sat there forever, you should be able to figure it out. So you're figuring out more and more of them because they are solvable. You've been practicing them. You're learning how to solve them. So it's not surprising that your scores are going to improve. This was one data point. If Ben's right and the LR is easier and the rc is easier and the games are harder but you're good at the games then yeah that's a test that's gonna suit you but (laughs) the lesson is not stay away from earlier materials because they are not representative Uh. of modern tests the lesson is look at the ones you missed (laughs) i mean on this test you missed three so review the one lr that you missed review the one reading comp that or the two reading comps that you missed And then move along with your day and stop thinking about the numbers so much. Stop thinking about the predictive value. None of this discussion is useful or not nearly as useful as the 
review your mistakes. The ones you're missing are going to teach you the things that you need to know about this test. So put it into the score bank, but thoroughly review the mistakes and then just move on with your prep. Yep. I agree hundred percent. Like, what are you going to do? You got questions wrong. Even if this test or part of this test was easier for you, learn from it. Why didn't you get a 180? <laughs> like, keep going. You got this. Thanks, Jack. Next item is from Alex. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I was playing with the scholarship estimator and noticed that if I put a 173 with my UGPA and checked the URM box, it estimates a full ride from U Chicago. How is this possible when U Chicago gave zero full rides last year? Thanks, Alex. I see Ben is now puzzled. Yeah. Uh, I got to check the facts, right? So step one, see if we can replicate it. I don't know this person's GPA, but well, I'm going to put a 4.0 and a 180 and URM and update. And it does show a full tuition scholarship from U Chicago. Okay. Let's click on the 509. (sighs) Clicking on Chicago's 509. This is from the 2022 report. Scrolling down to the top of the second page, grants and scholarships. Oh, (laughs) they didn't offer any full tuition scholarships last year, but they did offer 51 more than full tuition scholarships last year. What in the fuck? What? That's not surprising. I don't find that surprising at all. More than half the class got more than full? No, 51 scholarships. Oh, oh, okay, okay. I'm 8% a- <laughs> of the class. <laughs> I see oh, like, confusion. Sorry. Okay, I see it. Okay, 8%. Yeah, still 8% is a huge number, but yeah. it's not shocking. Okay, 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 good. Yeah, but yeah, that's what it is. And we're not saying more than full in the estimator because we don't always know um, how people got more than full. They might've gotten it through the GI bill or something like that. But the fact that 8% got more than full means it's certainly possible to get full or more than full. Yeah. Yep. I mean, so you're just misreading the 509. That's all. Yeah. Look, Chicago and, and the URM. Oh, how do we, we know how to figure that out, right? The URM bump specifically for Chicago. Yep. Mm -hmm. Let's, let's talk about that. So we go to lsd.law. lsd.law. Okay. <laughs> I, I was like, okay, that 509 is broken when I thought 51% of students were getting more than full. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not surprising that they, they have these special scholarships that are um, full ride plus some stipend because they're like, yeah, you're actually elite. We are, we're rolling out the red carpet for you. Yeah. So that this is uh, just a correspondent who didn't really read the 509 properly, just saw the zero under full rides and said, well, hey, wait, this is impossible. But no, it's not impossible. And we don't ever. So we the estimator, we don't we don't say full tuition plus plus anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Because we don't know whether the plus is coming from maybe some student got some other outside scholarship or they have GI Bill money or some other thing. And that leads to the full ride plus uh, stipend illusion in some cases. But yeah. here, I mean, those numbers from Chicago, it's clear that they're not just giving people full tuition. They're giving full tuition plus if they're yeah. giving full tuition, or at least that's what they did last year. Yeah. Okay. Have you figured out, uh, have you found it yet? <clears throat> okay. It's under miscellaneous. So scroll down and then Whoa. it says URM LSAT differential 
for you, Chicago is 3.86. So, wow, that's a almost a four point jump. Yeah. And then the well, GPA is not much. It's um, it's all, it's a tenth of a percent. But the LSAT is unfavorable, slightly unfavorable, uh, measurably, but slightly unfavorable to let's just say people of color. We don't know why, but it is slightly. <laughs> That's not to say that people of color can't kill the test. They certainly can. But there's like a few points of unexplainable difference in the performance on average of uh, U- URMs. Yeah. Blacks and Latinos are significantly underrepresented in law school for many, many reasons. Law schools know this. Law schools want to fix this. Law schools don't want to be lily white. Uh, so Chicago is giving a significant LSAT bump to people of color to try to get back to a, uh, to, to, to try to keep some sort of balance in their class, which is great. Good on them for doing that. Yeah. Not surprising at all. <laughs> Chicago is still very white. Uh, don't get me wrong of the degrees that were awarded last year, 217 total. And that included 35 Hispanics of any race. Are you looking at the 509? I'm looking at the 509, 13 black or African-American. So let's just say there's, yeah, there's not a lot of black and brown faces cruising around the Chicago (laughs) campus. Not, I mean, certainly not compared to the demographics of the city of Chicago itself. So they don't want to be a like white spot in the middle of Chicago. And so, yeah, they're like, aggressively out there recruiting with scholarship dollars, uh, people of color. So good for them. Anyways, Alex, uh, you just look, need to look at the 509 a little closer. Great. I'm glad to know that there isn't an error there. Uh, we would have gone, we would have aggressively fixed it. Like I guarantee you that my man, Ben here would have been like pulling his hair out, uh, for the rest of the day about this. If there was an error, we would be on it quickly. So thanks Alex for sending this in. Uh, yeah, it turns out you're just reading the 509 wrong. Yeah. And we are working on making that URM bump in the estimator more accurate using this data. So, okay. Last item. ABA will try yet again to eliminate LSAT rule. All right. We've buried this at the very bottom of the agenda because we're getting tired of the ABA crying wolf on this issue. We have a note here, though, that says on Friday, less than two weeks after the ABA's policymaking body voted down the change. The ABA's Council of the Section of Legal Education and Admissions to the Bar overwhelmingly voted to resubmit a controversial proposal to end by 2025 the longstanding requirement that schools use the law school admission test and other standardized tests when admitting new students. We got to stop talking about this. (laughs) We really have to stop talking about it because All we're talking about is a requirement that law schools use an admissions test, but the law schools don't use an admissions test because they are required to use an admissions test. They heavily weight the admissions test. It's the most important factor. Well, that and undergraduate GPA, they heavily weight the LSAT because they think it's very predictive of people who are going to be successful in law school and who are going to raise the prestige of their school and This requirement that they keep talking about getting rid of one, they've been crying wolf too long now. I can't listen to them anymore. 
Two, even if they do remove this requirement, I'm not sure that it's going to have any practical effect, especially not at the top schools. Yeah, I do want to keep reading this. I, I, I find the interworkings of this, of all these things and how they relate to each other interesting. It says the proposal to end the admissions test rule will return to the ABA's House of Delegates in August. So the House of Delegates is the group that just voted it down, right? So people were saying, hey, let's get rid of this requirement. The House of Delegates said no. And this proposal is coming from this legal council, right? And it says the Legal Education Council can enact the change even if the House rejects it for a second time because the U.S. Department of Education recognizes that council as the official accreditor of law schools. So it's not the ABA House of Delegates that accredits law schools. It's specifically this education council. And the only reason I find that interesting is it's they. So they're the ones who are trying to get rid of this LSAT requirement but they're also the ones that are apparently responsible for accrediting law schools, and they are the ones who I think shouldn't be accrediting as many law schools as they currently do. Like, you know, shame on the Department of Education for not enforcing some of these requirements about giving out loans to students at schools that suck, right? But also shame on this particular council. They're so concerned about the LSAT when they really should be concerned about accrediting law schools that shouldn't be accredited, right? That shouldn't exist, I think, because they're just bottom feeding schools that are putting tons of students into debt that they can't get out of. Anyways, I feel like one of my point here is that this, this group is so hell bent on this mission to get rid of the LSAT, whereas they should be focusing on getting rid of schools that are problematic for the system. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't seem like these, you know, so when schools have terribly low bar passage rates, when schools have terribly low employment outcomes, the ABA just they, they want to just kind of like step back from it, including yep. this council. And they want to say, well, that's the law school's responsibility. We just accredit the law schools based on whatever we accredit the law school, you know, how many books are in their library. Or, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> dumb shit that they yeah. accredit the law. They don't. Yeah, it's the bottom feeders that really want this. The top law schools, the law schools that people come to us talking about, you know, the the top, like, let's say, 100 in the country. Yeah, those schools don't want to go test optional. They want to continue using the LSAT to try to identify talented people, talented, hardworking people. And so, yeah, the, these people clearly just like have this mission in life. They think that the LSAT is discriminatory, so they want to get rid of it. They haven't really thought about it. <laughs> like it's actually discriminatory to admit people who are never going to be practicing attorneys. Yeah. And that's what the bottom feeding schools are doing, like just rampantly every single year. I mean, it's just a fact yeah. that like half of the people who go to these schools, half the people who go to half the schools have no chance of ever practicing law. And those are the people who are taking out loans taking on huge amounts of debt to do that. And those people tend to be blacker and browner and poorer. Yeah. And so if you really wanted to do something to help these people, what you would do instead is you would start like seriously looking at the bar passage and employment outcomes of the very worst schools. It has nothing to do. Those are the, exactly the schools that do need to use the LSAT, by the way. If you let those schools go test optional, then they're going to start admitting more people who would have scored 132 on the LSAT. And if you score 132 on the LSAT, you're just, you know, 
if that's the best you can do, sorry, but like you're not passing the California bar exam. It's just too hard. Yep. They want warm bodies who will pay the bills. It's yeah, it's bad. It's really bad. So I'm, I just find that interesting that it's that council in particular that apparently accredits schools. I never knew that. Um, I just kind of saw the ABA as a big blob and it all is in, in some ways it doesn't matter, but I am curious <laughs> who is responsible for what, because it's this system that has led to this horrible outcome for so many people. Yeah. Uh, anyways. Be LSAT famous, ask us questions or share news with us at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about our LSAT product, which is called LSAT Demon, which might improve your LSAT score by 10, 20, even 30 LSAT points, please email help at lsatdemon.com. We've got a great customer service team. They will answer all of your questions. Check out our other podcast if you want more, and not just from us, but former students of ours, teachers, law school, students. Uh, that's over at LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode 391 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. Yeah.